Good morning, everyone. We're so grateful you could join us today for our Saturday morning Bible study. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America, and we warmly welcome you all. And our moderator today is Thomas from New York. Welcome, everyone, to our Bible study, our continuing Bible study on Revelation. So I'll start out with our quote. This is uh, from Apocalypse chapter in uh, Science and Health. Thus we see in both the first and the last books of the Bible, in Genesis and in the Apocalypse, that sin is to be Christianly and scientifically reduced to its native nothingness. Love one another. First John uh, chapter 3, verse 23, is the most simple and profound counsel of the inspired writer. In science, we are children of God, but whatever is of material sense or mortal belongs not to his children, for materiality is the inverted image of spirituality. Love fulfills the law of Christian science. So this is from Science and Health uh, by Mary Baker Eddy, page 572, lines 3 to 11. And uh, I encourage you to... Uh, uh, read the whole rest of what she wrote there in this section. But I uh, uh, thought it was important that we uh, uh, focus on what she says, love fulfills the law of Christian science. Thank you. <laughs> and how do we love? Seeing God, uh, God's children that he created, so learning about God and then knowing that that's true of all the creation and seeing it. Thank you. We love what God really is. We don't have to love the false sense of God that some people profess. And we have to love one another as God's image and likeness. Because if we don't love one another as God's image and likeness, we don't love. And it is love that will keep us from becoming what happened to Sardis, which was the one of my commentaries, the church of the zombies, <laughs> <laughs> the dead church. And it is when Gary asked the question, it is divine love, not human love. So evidently, they were doing a lot of things humanly. Right. <clears throat> I once thought when I was part of the organization, you know, I was on various committees and everything, it can lead to self-satisfaction. And you think you're doing something when you're not really doing much of anything. Um, running around smartly accomplishing nothing and i had no idea i thought well you know made me feel good i was on all these committees and all of that kind of thing so i was uh i was a good little christian scientist but i didn't know the first thing about christian science or what that really meant 
So love is the liberator. Love is the key. But it's it's a love that's on fire, not that's dead. Um, Carrie sent me something. It's on our website, and it it it, it relates indirectly to all this. Actually, very directly, but um, it's from Essays and Other Footprints, the Red Book, in the re repaid pages. And it is what Mrs. Eddy says about Revelation 20, 1 to 6, the first verses 1 and 2. Science and health is the angel sent down from heaven. You got that? Yeah. Malicious animal magnetism is the bottomless pit. And science and health gives us the key to it. It unlocks the mystery of ages. And its declarations of truth are the chain which binds that old serpent, the devil, for a thousand years. That is, it reduces sin, sickness, and death to a unit of nothingness. Verse 3, unity of good. Unity of good is the seal that was put upon the devil and Satan, for its teachings make it impossible for him to, to no longer deceive the nations. It was the seal that was put upon the devil and Satan, for its teachings make it impossible for him to longer deceive the nations. Verses 4 to 6. They who have been taught of science and health, the heavenly messenger, are they who sit upon the thrones and have judgment given unto them, for they declare the science of being over all error, and their judgment is the judgment of God. Then the good that is the reflection of God is separated from the good that is only a false belief or the error which has upon it the mark of the beast. Difference between the divine good and the human good, which is false belief. It is confusing many people these days. We must be clear on this. And then she continues. Then the true reflection of God good reigns with those who sit upon the thrones Overcoming the unit of error, they who are thus taught reign with the Christ, whose second appearance is the first resurrection. What is the second appearance of Christ? Science and health. Science and health. I can't overemphasize the importance that we know our textbook and prose works. I talked to a dear lady recently, originally from Ireland, now living in New York, but she said she'd been listening to all these roundtables and things, and she said she had to admit she might have read Minds and Health once briefly or quickly, but didn't know anything about prose works. We, we, are, we have no arsenal. We have no strength. We have nothing if we don't know our textbook. It's a cat without claws, as they say. We must know our textbook. We must declare our textbook. Look at what she's saying it does. It's going to chain the old serpent, the devil, and it reduces sin, sickness, and death to a unit of nothingness. Unity of good. 
puts the seal that was upon the devil and Satan for its teachings, make it impossible for him to, to deceive the nations. This is the answer. We have it. We're sitting on it. And if you don't do it, we are a dead church and we do not love. Spiritual, spiritual sense is needed. And that's the only way you get it, I think. Why are you saying you yeah. have to know this textbook? Mrs. Eddie sort of closes the Bible, sounds to me. Someone student was also mentioning is the amen to the Bible. Yes. You know, this whole idea of love, I think, is one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted things there ever were. Everybody loves the things that are easy and comfortable. But there's one statement that comes out to me from Mary Baker Reddy, miscellaneous writings, where she says, I make strong demands on love. And that left me with the impression like we're active in the science. And if we're not, we're undefended, like Mary mentioned earlier. And to me, I mean, it, uh, to love this love, loving those who are not like me, <laughs> it's not easy because we always, always want to judge. But it's, it's a command for us all to love. We all have work to do. We are, we are to love, in, in other words, get the nothingness of all error and to see the man God has created. And that's what we all have to do. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Because there are divisive elements at work in our in our nation to and if it can get us divided, what what did Lincoln say? United we stand. Is he the one who said that? Divided we fall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trying to get us divided over all these issues, most of them well, they seem, and they are, they are important, but we must raise it up to the realm of spirit. Mm -hmm. Keep it there, and our argument must be on the side of spirit, God, and we must, yes, bring, raise it up. It's God's government. It's all about God, not about human this and that. Most of these issues that are so divisive are very human. They're based on mm -hmm. your born matter, you're going to die out of it. It's all about our human, what sex we are, what color we are, what, you know, if we're going to do this or that. It's all based on human stuff. Got to get above all that. And every year they find new ways to divide. Yeah, every year there's nothing new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But our example in this, and the example that I keep foremost when I, when I need it, is... Jesus on the cross, and what could be more divisive than that? <laughs> what was his comment? Declaration. Yes. Thank you. He loved even his enemies because he had no enemies. Beautiful. And that is our example. It is. And he did not he did not get involved with the Roman Empire. He said, Leave leave to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Mm -hmm. And so and how so we, we do get upset over things we're reading or seeing in the news. How do we get 
We get to it by declaring signs and help, by reading signs and help, by getting back to her textbooks. She said it would do the work. That quote Florence found a long time ago. What was it in the green book? Red, red book, page uh, 20 or 80. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that I went, don't care what love has done to me. Or, oh, yeah. Oh, that one. Okay. Yes. Yes. That one. I was thinking. Oh, oh, I I think you're talking about the one she told Annie not about when that time comes, science and health is the answer. Is that it? Yes. Yes. Not the bill. in the green book. That's in the green book. Yeah. When Materia Medica has become so large that healing in Christian science seems almost, almost impossible. It is. Never impossible. It's never, ever impossible. Mm-hmm. The mesmerism seems so great, and the turning to material medicine seems so great. That's when you get the textbook out and let it let it do its work. This is what she's saying here. What do people sometimes say about our textbook? Oh, I don't understand it. It's so boring. It's written in old language. And to that we say, bush <laughs> <laughs> Where's your bell? <laughs> my bell. I didn't bring my bell. <laughs> I forgot my bike bell. I'll add it in afterwards. <laughs> my bike bell, my sensors. I think also one way we all, you know, I guess people get caught up is this sense of, oh, I, I understand it intellectually, but I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, you get that a lot. What, would, what does that mean? God is telling you something maybe if we come to it with i will listen to god's instruction of what i have to know from this book maybe that will be better than starting off with oh i understand it intellectually but i don't understand well i mean it's it's been declared it's for practice so somehow god will lead you as to how to use it must be practiced. You can't understand it unless you practice it. And people who say that, what what does it say about them? People who say that, who say that intellectual, <laughs> right? It also says that they don't love. Yeah. It's what as Mrs. Eddy says. She says the letter of science is is avail is plentifully available understood by the child but yes but the heart and soul is not but the spirit of the science is not and then she goes on to say that the heart and soul of christian science is what love 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 yeah so the textbook must be studied but you have to love the truth so much that you want that you want to know and live what you read if you don't love the truth if you don't love mankind then you then the words are just words there's only so many days of opposition you'll face before you put it down Mm. So yeah, maybe I feel maybe the the word love itself may be confusing. But if if you love something, you love, you honor them, you like respect, and you serve it. So, am I doing those? Am I loving God this way? 
Do I honor him? Do I respect him? Do I come with reverence to what he's saying I should do? Mm -hmm. I think if we want to then practice that. Yeah, yeah. The problem with reading it intellectually is that you approach that book with your mind already filled with what you think you know, and you're going to start analyzing and be critical. However, on the other hand, if you pick up the book, but before you open it, you say, God, I know that I need to hear what you have to tell me. And when that receptive state, you'll read the words and get the message. And that's the vital part of it all. Yeah. It sounds like the first beatitude, doesn't it? Yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, we should probably go on or we'll spend the whole time on this. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say one thing in the quote. When he read it, it, it put it a different way for me. And whatever is of material sense or mortal belongs not to his children. I never thought about it as stealing before to go into that stuff. Oh, that is thought good. of it as bad, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. or not wanted, but definitely yep. thank you. don't want to be stealing that stuff. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Tom. Okay, so we'll uh, jump right into this. Uh, our topic, as uh, we all know now, is Love Fulfills the Law, which is written in Romans chapter 13, verse 10. And uh, our first question um, on uh, blessings, which uh, Thomason uh, listed out for us. So the next one on the list is uh, from Revelations chapter 20, verse uh, 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Well, this is something we discuss a lot in various lessons, probation after death, everlasting punishment. Um, just Everyone wonders what the second death is, but I guess it's say goodbye to all mortality, and sometimes it takes a while. But I, I do think what I read from that repaid pages, Mrs. Eddy, they who have been taught of signs and health, the heavenly messenger. And, you know, many people, just because, I mean, Florence will talk about it, you don't necessarily have to read the book or the Bible to get the spirit of things. And, and live that spirit of, of truth. Are they who sit upon thrones and have judgment given unto them, for they declare the signs of being over all error, and their judgment is the judgment of God. Then the good that is the reflection of God, separated from the good that is only false belief, or the error which has upon it the mark of the beast, and that's the tricky part. Then the true reflection of God, good, reigns with those who sit upon the thrones, overcoming the unit of error. They are thus taught and reign with the Christ, whose second appearance is the first resurrection. But to me, that's saying when you're living this, the best you can when you do love God and your fellow man, then you are promoted to reign with Christ. 
If you don't, then you have more lessons to learn and you'll keep learning them till you get there. And she discusses this again. This is why you need to know unity of good, caution and truth. She discusses all of this. She puts it down very clearly. If you don't understand these things, it's because you haven't studied the textbook and prose works. And this is having part in the first resurrection. This, isn't, this the, isn't this what Jesus was trying to teach us? His teaching and his example? And he went on to say that, you know, I have, I have many more things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. But the Comforter, whom the Father will send, shall lead you into all truth. Well, aren't we privileged to have it right here and now? I hadn't realized till now, but Gary's readings on the ultimate science go perfectly with mm -hmm. all of this. It's the ultimate science. But we need to, to read it, to study it, and then to practice it. And yes, what a privilege it is. And somewhere a while ago I read, um, there's, there's a more of a demand on us now because we have been given the wonderful truth than if we hadn't been, right? Mm. We, Maybe the whole world is privileged by it being on the internet now and if we're using it correctly, because I, I hear a lot of people who are led to it, somehow, you know, they must be hungering for this and they are led to it. So maybe we include that in our prayers. So Thank more you. and more find it. Yeah, because the truth pushes itself on all of us, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. <clears throat> and so it should because the truth is all powerful. The truth is all there is. So it can't help but push itself on all of us. So we don't need to advertise our website. Truth, truth will do that for us. Yes. And Christian science doesn't need to be advertised. It needs to be demonstrated. That was Bicknell Young. Thank you. Thank you. We tried once to do that, um, and it was not at all successful. So... We don't market. We don't advertise. We, you know, there was discussion a few years ago about getting someone to market for us. No, uh-uh. God does it for us. And he brings those here that are ready for it and are ready to receive this truth. And it's wonderful. We could be a better marketer than <laughs> God Almighty. Mm -hmm. There's no one. Mm -hmm. He leads the people who are really hungry for it. He does. He does. It's amazing. I think we've said it before. God knows your heart. Well, God knows the heart of each one. And he's the one who is all intelligence. So he knows who and how and what to send his message out so that it reaches the heart. Thank you. One of the things that uh, I thought about with this blessing, 
was that uh, uh, from some of the stuff I've read, people look at this and they see about raining for a thousand years and et cetera, and that uh, they use this to build out some, you know, prediction of all these very specific human events. So think about that. So they take this and they start talking about human events, when this is going to happen and all that sort of stuff, okay? Uh, and we want to look at this spiritually, and I think we can go back to the quote for this because it talks about materiality is the inverted image of spirituality. Um, so in some sense, that's why I, I sort of struggle with this blessing. But you step back and, and, and kind of like discord all this prediction of human events and, and say, well, what is this telling me? Um, so that's sort of my thought about this blessing, because I think it was a little difficult to figure out what to do with this. And, and that was my conclusion was, you know, um, I'm focusing too much on um, predicting human events. Well, and Jesus talked to his disciples about that, too. When the disciples asked him, you know, when he was telling them uh, about the latter days and they asked him, well, when is this going to happen? And his answer was, well, no person knows. Only God knows. So to try to predict human events. Yeah. I mean, unless unless God tells you that something's going to happen. There's no way. And that's your spiritual intuition. Do you remember that quote you had about prophecy from Mrs. Eddy? <laughs> I didn't bring it. I didn't think to bring it. I'll try to bring it tomorrow, maybe. I'll try to stick on it. But yeah. I, I did want to say we, we watched that Times of Deception, uh, that second part of the churches, the, you know, the seven churches of Revelation, and there was a commentary at the end, and in it, one of the guys was saying that there's four different ways to interpret Revelation, materially, spiritually, I think one was prophetically, and then the last one was, you know, like a futurism or something like that. And for some reason, he didn't pick spiritually, which I think is... Very <laughs> indicated a lot, on. I know. It's a spiritual. And I, I have thought, too... I've said this before, it seems like every generation has their own latter days to deal with. You know, we, we do. And then we should be progressing to get that key to do what I'd read earlier from repaid pages to, to bind the Satan and with the truth of science and health. And we should be getting where we can do that. So we will. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Bring in that millennium. It exists here and now. We just have to have the eyes to see it. And in this case, a thousand years is a really long time. And it's designed to denote that life is eternal. Mm -hmm. Period. But I think with time... We're not waiting for some, I think they call it a rapture or, you know, where Jesus Christ is floating down from heaven. That's not, that's yeah. not it. We're not waiting for yeah. So uh, I, I always point out something I put in the notes on page five. This is from Kratzer. It might be useful for people to take a look at this, but 
he wrote about prophecy. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but, you know, he, he says here that foretelling the future is only incidental to the office of the prophet. And uh, really the, the main thing of a prophet is, uh, you know, uh, essentially uh, interpreting um, God's word, um, passing on God's messages, right? This is not foretelling per se to be a prophet. So it's an understanding. So that's how we approach this. What is our spiritual understanding of what we're reading? Seems like the prophet also is there to wake people up if they're going to sleep, like in Sardis, to warn them what they're where they're headed. Yeah, <clears throat> right. Wake them up from the dead. Gosh, it sounds like we should go into the next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I, I do have that quote. Yeah. It is from page uh, 69 of the Addenda of Collectania. Uh, Mrs. Eddie had asked the class which, what they would like from her, because I guess they had done a good job. <laughs> so they asked her to uh, prophesy for them. And it says, her, her face clouded for just an instant, and then she said, to perform the demonstration of prophecy always includes a temptation of animal magnetism. Now, I have always found this rule of help. When you are about to prophesy, always handle animal magnetism first, and then you will find the times are in his hands, and all the need for prophecy will be gone. Why? Because faith in God will have taken its place. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. We won't be worried about the future one way or the other. Faith in God has taken its place. So whatever comes... We're ready for it. And that's that's why Revelation 20, verse 6. Because blessed and holy is he that has gotten to that point. Prophecy will no longer be necessary. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jeremy, for finding that. Okay. Yep, we're ready for the dead church. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, question number two. Uh, what is the lesson of the letter to the Church of Sardis? A lot of lessons. Yeah, a lot of lessons. Well, I, so did anybody get a lesson out of this? Yeah. <laughs> I had a little background information. Sardis was up on a cliff. And it was very supposedly easy to defend. And as a result, um, the people didn't put much effort into its defense because apparently to them wasn't needed. And you can easily imagine there's the, the sleep of unwatchfulness could creep, creep in very easily. So it's important to feel the need and be active in the truth and watching. Just a little background. Well, that's important. And this is certainly what Tomlinson said about this church is unwatchfulness. And this is one of the main thrusts of our church is to be watching always. And, yeah, it, it said that, um, well, they, they were so well protected that they kind of went to sleep because they thought, well, no one, no one can find us. You know, no one can attack us. And so then they had someone studying, you know, how can they get into this 
place. And do you remember what happened in the movie? Yeah, uh, one of the watchmen's helmet fell down, and he went down to get it, and they saw him at the bottom of the hill, and then they just followed him up to where, where the secret door was. Yeah, there was yeah, a secret a, door. Yeah, so they followed him into the secret door. So, and that, this happened twice in the history of this city, mm. that it was actually taken over by stealth, by uh, first by the Persians and then later by the Greeks. Um, who studied, figured out how to take it over. Yeah. And it was worth taking over because it, it was one of the largest cities in the world, and it was a very wealthy city. Yeah. So anybody who could take it over could run away with a lot of gold. <laughs> Matthew Henry said, whenever we are off our watch, we lose ground. So I thought that was perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um so we we learned the hard way, but sometimes that's the only way, <laughs> that Mrs. Eddy insisted that all Christian scientists watch. And when we were under attack by the dead church in Boston, sorry, <laughs> when we were under attack, we started watching, not knowing that Mrs. Eddy had insisted that people watch. And um, we continue to watch. Whereas a lot of people in the organization never heard of watching. Oh, and I, and that's still true. That's still true. So I got to say that too. That's so true. They don't teach you anything about watching. It's a total mystery. You got to come to the playing field to learn about watching, right? Yeah, word is never mentioned. I never heard anything about watch. No, and that's because they suppress all the books that tell you. Now, isn't that convenient for error? Ha 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 ha! You can't find anything out about how to watch because I'm, I have all the books up in the archive. I mean, come on, <laughs> that's that's so ridiculous. So we put those books out, and and you out there, you circulate them, you read them, you give them to your friends or talk it up. The more watching, the better. And if anybody tries to do a negative watch, well, that we know will fail because it's godless. In World War II, this is a quote from Winston Churchill. He said, I must drop one word of caution for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. Mm. You see, in many respects, America, we've been so steeped in materiality and overconfident and nothing can ever happen to us. Well, guess what? Guess what? <laughs> yes. So this is the huge importance of watching. And I, wa I want to read to you some things from Spiritual Footsteps. First, Mary Baker Eddy, or Spiritual Footsteps by Gilbert Carpenter. Chapter 21, which is one of my very favorite chapters, because it tells about the importance of watching in Mrs. Eddy's household. And all of you should read this chapter, and as much as possible, emulate what she did in her home. It, it, the, the morning watch hour was from 9 to 10, 
when each student returned to his or her room to do the mental work to destroy fear and to recognize the presence and power of God is supreme in the home as well as the whole universe. This work did not vary from day to day except where special instructions were given to us. And then it talks about, you know, the other watches. There was a, that morning watch. Then there was a general watch hour from three to, to four. Um, and then at eight was when she went out to the porch and sat on the swing until nine. And that was when Carpenter, if he would go out there to say goodnight to her, what did he feel? Oh, I'll be her presence. He just could feel that he would cry even sometimes. It would lead him to tears because her love pouring out to the world was so tremendous. Um, my goodness, what a blessing we had when she was here doing this. And, and I know that she still is. And then, um, and then there was the nighttime watches where people got up in the middle of the night, which is what we did for many, many, many years. Each one of us had, would have an hour watch. And some of you still do that in the middle of the night. And he talks about sometimes um, there was a time when I did not remove my clothes for 72 hours. They were called on to be watching uh, for that length of time. And they didn't even know what they were watching about until perhaps later. And then this is on page 257. Yes, where at the time of the 8 o'clock watch, Mrs. Eddy went out on the upper side porch. I always gained the impression that this hour was consecrated to working for the whole world and that she never permitted anything less to come under the searchlight of her scientific consciousness during this time. These universal outpourings nearly always uplifted and sweetened her thought. Students of Christian science must take their cue from their leader and build up confidence in the power they reflect, establishing the glorious fact that their spiritual consciousness has the very power of the universe back of it, that nothing can stand before it, that it has a, a speed greater than of light, that it goes wherever it is directed, acts instantaneously, and does accomplish that whereunto it is sent. I love that. This is such a powerful book to read and study and make your own. And as we talked about recently, where the French, the guy in the movie, the French guy who directed it. Christophe. Christophe. Yes, his name is Christophe. A very special name. <laughs> um, he said about how do you know whether you're lukewarm or not. Oh, yeah. Like where you spend your time and where you spend your money. Spend your time and your money. How many of you watch? How many of you do these watches? And if not, why not? Because I do ask, where is your love? And if you do, wonderful. And if you think you don't know how, how do you learn anything? I'm doing it. Practice yes, thank perfect. you. Yes. Again, we have been given the greatest gift in the world, the ultimate science. What are we to do with this? God forbid we let it slip through our fingers. So, the lesson in Sardis, watching, 
our unwatchfulness, going to sleep, the Church of the Zombies. I love that. I love that commentary. Church of the Zombies. And I just want to say the term ultimate science did not originate with any of us in this church. It originated, I think, with Albert Einstein when he moved to Princeton from Germany and visited frequently the Christian Science Reading Room and attended the Christian Science Church and had a personal copy of Science and Health, which he read. And he told members of the church there that he hoped they had a clue as to what was in that book. And he referred to it as the ultimate science. Thank you. Now, it, it does say that the church, Sardis Church, had a good reputation. What does that mean? So humanly well thought of, maybe. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Human, humanly well thought of, exactly. Most people, you know, it, it said here that it was a busy church with meetings every night, committees galore, wheels within wheels, promotion and publicity, something going on all the time. It had a reputation of being live, wide awake, and a going concern. But Jesus saw them for what they really were. But you are dead. And it shows that a good reputation is no guarantee of a true spiritual character. Despite their good appearance, Jesus saw them as dead. This is the danger of human activity. Like I said, I thought I was oh, doing such a great job because I'd go to meetings and chit-chat with people. and But I was dead. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Thank you. Mrs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Eddie once said, she said, you only understand what you can demonstrate. And, and that woke me up years ago and said, if I'm not healing things or improving my life or others, I'm not. I don't understand. Thank you very much. This whole idea of reputation, to a large degree, is mainly a, a manipulation of other people's opinions anyway. So thank so, you so much for reputation. And how selfish it is, because when we're supposed to be selfless. Right. It's totally selfish. Thank you. Um, this was a quote that Sardis was a, a perfect, then after this, when it became dead, a perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. It got to the point where Era left it alone, right? It left it entirely alone. And why was that? It was no threat to error. It was dead. What was wrong? And what did Mrs. Eddy say when when she asked them, "When how is your church doing?" Oh, yeah. And oh, it's fine. She said, "That's too bad." Then there's something There's something really wrong. Oh, we're doing great. Everything's great. Well, that's too bad. She said, or something to that effect, because. That meant the era was leaving you alone. Not a good sign. It's much better when you're just <laughs> struggling the whole way. And then <laughs> these were some good quotes from this zombie church. Um, Outwardly splendid as of old, inwardly lifeless, dead and cold. Her force and fire all spent and gone. Like the dead moon, 
she still shines on. <laughs> and then another description. Mild-mannered people meeting in mild-mannered ways, striving, <laughs> I love this, <laughs> striving to be more mild-mannered. <laughs> Oh, that's so great. Oh, my. And that's what I was. I was trying to be so mild-mannered, unruffled, but not in a good way. Science, the angel with the flaming sword. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, that, that hymn's been coming to me this week. Yes. And also, what Mrs. Eddy says about timid conservatism. Once the spirit of God comes over you, you can't be that way. I sure was that way. And that, oh my goodness. And I love people that were that way. Politically correct, not ruffling anything. Let's just go with the flow and mild mannered people meeting in mild mannered ways, striving to be more mild mannered. Don't ruffle feathers. Right. And Mrs. Eddy says the, the what, the, and the bed needs to be turned and frequently. Yeah, frequently and ruffled. Yes, a good ruffling is good. And here it doesn't kick a sleeping dog. It doesn't. And that's what this was saying, too. It, it left it alone because it was so dead. And it just went around doing these human projects that meant nothing. Jesus' example, though, is so beautiful to me because... He was peaceful. He was so spiritually peaceful, you know, and made sure he was doing what God wants him to do, that he did rebuke when it was necessary. But otherwise, it's a steadiness, a calmness that he walked with, with and compassion and love. Look to that and love. Thank you. Yes, mm -hmm. there it was. And he did not take offense unless the offense be to God. And then he sprung into action, as that Mrs. Eddy's article, Taking Offense. That's why he threw the money changers out of the temple. And my gosh, you could give, Mrs. Eddy said his rebuke was fearful. It has to be the right combination. This isn't about going around being agitated and beating everybody up that you see. No, that would be a total misinterpretation of what was said. Um, that's, that's totally wrong. And he, and he gave his fiercest rebukes to self-righteousness, yeah. mm -hmm. self-love, self-justification, all the selves that, that, that were a selfhood apart from God. So this gets, this gets me to another lesson that I thought if we can move, move a little bit to a different level here or whatever. The lesson, one of the lessons I got was we need to remember who and what the head of the church is. Mm -hmm. Who and what is the head of our church? God. alone. God. Or if you need the Christ, the Christ, either one, because they are in effect the same. But if you make a person or a group of people or uh, 
you know, or a federal government, as exists in other parts of the world, the head of your church, what's going to happen? It's the person that's going to be worshipped. Yeah, it'll become like the church in Sardis. And it has to die because you're not allowing God to be the head of the church. That's interesting because there was a whole section on the Church of the Zombies that's devoted to that because it talks about, you know, the times then there, there was great spiritual awakening and revelation and all kinds of things going on. But when they turned it over to the head of the government, everything went downhill. And, and they, according to this, that um, even Luther did it when he looked to, to the German princes for protection against the power of Rome. Swingley did it in Switzerland because he had associated with the government of the company country and brought the churches under his oversight into a direct tie with the state. Calvin did it in Geneva when he sought to turn the city into theocracy. Knox did it in Scotland as well. The system of state churches was adopted. Now, he goes on to quote, the, the reason of the for the death was that the pastors of the state churches were commissioned by the state to act as civil servants. They had to do all the baptizing, marrying, burying. He says, in Copenhagen, a pastor said to me with tears in his eyes, oh, I wish you could preach the word like you do in America, but I have no time. I have to marry everyone. I have to baptize all the babies that are born. I bury everyone who dies in this whole parish. I simply have no time to study. And then he says, they often describe it as having to hatch, match, and dispatch. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he longed to study, but he was unable to impart the truth of the word to his congregation because of the tie to the state. This is still widely true in Europe today. Churches there are almost totally empty. There may be believers among those present, but the membership of the church is made up of people who have to name to live, but who have a name to live, but are spiritually dead. Um, so, and I, I know one time years ago, I got one call from someone in Norway who was asking for help, but that is what that person said. There's no church to go to. It's all state churches. So you have to give money to the state. Um, and, and I know our dear friends in Sweden, thank God they're there because they're a live working Christian scientist. In, in the same kind of atmosphere. This does not, I'm not criticizing the people in any way or any form, and there are many very good God-fearing people. Just because they don't go to church doesn't necessarily mean a darn thing. But I am saying, well, it is a sad thing when there is this decline of churches, or as we saw in, in England years ago visiting, the churches were museums. We were walking all over dead buried kings and queens and other things. They were beautiful, ornate churches, but nobody really went to them. And I, I think Suzanne said in France, the churches are closed except for, yeah. Except for the museums. For, and, and for weddings and things. Yeah. So what? So tell us, what does it mean, separation of? Well, this is, this is why human government is important. And the Constitution of the United States established 
as one of its premises, the separation of church and state. Our, our forefathers, some of them were tremendous Christians, and they saw, they saw the, the deadness of the churches in Europe even then. And they, they knew. I mean, God directed, I mean, this is, you know, this is biblical. God directed them to create a human government that would, that would. That was divinely inspired. It was, yes. That, that would leave people free to worship God however they felt they wanted to in the best way they, they knew. And to not interfere with religious, you know, with, with religion. To, to, to be totally separate. And Mrs. Eddy says... You know, government should not dictate to the churches, but good religion should infiltrate our our governments. So we have, at least in theory, and we better work to keep it that way if we can, freedom of religion. And to the extent that we can be a good example to the rest of the world, we will that will do a lot to prosper Christian science, true Christianity in the rest of the world. It's, it's, it's not to keep God out of the government, okay? That, that's been twisted around, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the social, you know, the, the, the materialists, the humanists want to turn it around and say that government is more valuable than religion or God. <laughs> and to keep out of God out of the government, out of schools. Okay, Zary, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to, I would like to say that in Germany, people, the Christians, the Catholics and the Lutherans have to pay taxes to the government. It's taken out of their job, you know, the money that they earn. And uh, there is so much political, um, nonsense evolved around that but the other churches are called cults wow so it's, and so spirituality a lot of people you're right don't uh really go except for christmas and uh, easter thank you very much that's yeah. the first hand from germany <laughs> in, uh, i was reading eustace and in his section on revelation he's talking about the beast he has a pages and pages on individualism and that this is all about an attack on individualism. Thank you. And without individualism, we, we lose it because remember Christian science, personality, the old man we get rid of to get our individuality in Christ. And when the government takes over, they think you're not intelligent enough to make right decisions when it takes over too much, too much. You know, there are some things we do need government for but but um you see everything's been twisted they twist things around which is why they oh we can't have prayer in schools because separation of church and state and that's a misinterpretation of the constitution and if you know the constitution you cannot be fooled by it but most people don't know they're too busy watching the kardashians so we have to get back to where we know our constitution, our rights. We have to know 
our science and health, our prose works, our rights, our freedom as children of God. And at the beginning of this so-called pandemic, it was Zary who said we should spend this time reading science and health. And I've never forgotten that and how much farther along we would all be if we are doing that. But this is all part of the attack, the worldwide attack on Christianity. Christianity is, is, the, is the hope of the world. It is the progress that God promises. And of course, old human mortal beliefs are threatened by it. So old mortal human beliefs attack it. So we are in a warfare. We didn't sign up for it, <laughs> but we're in it. So choose the side on which you want to do battle and arm yourself. And you arm yourself by studying the Christian science textbook, by studying prose works, by doing a watch at least once every day, if not two or three times a day. Because they teach correct Christianity. I think Christianity, yes, Christianity, there's a lot of Christians, but correct Christianity. Thank you. And that's why Jesus went to Sardis and said, wake up. He didn't say, you're going to hell and and I'm done with you. (laughs) He said, wake up. Come on. You can do it. That's what I, my takeaway, I love the end where they were talking about the movie that God does not give up. He starts from scratch and wakes you up. And to go back to the gospel, which for us is not just the Bible, but science and health. Thank you. To find out your individuality. And to uh, the Holy Spirit, they said, had left. And that was God's presence. And that really struck me that. That's staying in the Father's house that we keep getting instructed to make sure we do. Thank you. This was another interesting quote from the Church of the Zombies, I thought. Um, Yeah, Hollywood has given us a name for people. I was quoting about the mild-mannered people. He calls them zombies, corpses that are alive, that walk about as though they're living, but really they are dead. That's why the command, wake up, you know, it's, it's wake up. There are various stages of being dead. And then, and then this quote, many Christians are really Christaholics and not disciples at all. Disciples are cross-bearers. They seek Christ. Christaholics see, seek happiness. <laughs> Disciples dare to be disciplined, dare to discipline themselves and the demands they place on themselves, leave them enjoying the happiness of their growth. Christaholics are escapists looking for a shortcut to Nirvana or Nirvana. Like drug addicts, they are trying to bomb out of their depressing world. So let us not be a Christaholic and, uh, And to some degree, you know, like this new age, isn't that what they're looking for? The The pill. The pill and for prosperity and happiness and and without being a follower of Christ, without willing to bear the cross and discipline themselves, as this says. So. um, Looking for escapism rather than fulfillment. Thank you. I read in Unity of Good, which you referenced, where Mrs. A talks about the second death. 
she says, they upon whom the second death, of which we read in the Apocalypse, Revelation 26, hath no power, are those who have obeyed God's commands and have washed their robes white through the sufferings of the flesh and the triumphs of spirit. Beautiful. Thank you. That's it. And that is the supreme joy and peace and great satisfaction we receive from being followers of Christ. And it's easier to do when you study the textbook and, yes. and uh, prose works uh, regularly. Yeah. <laughs> Much easier. Sort. And it's a lot easier to do when you're here and you're taking part in everything that the church does. That's right. You don't feel like you're alone in it. So. Thank you. Yeah, that's the whole purpose of a church. There is a reason for it. And it is it is right. our camaraderie, our brotherhood, mm -hmm. our sisterhood. <laughs> it's loving each other, watching each other's backs. Unity. Unity. Yeah. And making sure we're following things and not going off track. And I'm always grateful when people tell me when I am because... It's helpful. <laughs> so we strive yeah. to keep God as the head of this church. And I'm sure that that's why God blessed us by having us excommunicated from the organization. And people who are ready to do the work find us. And we're so grateful mm -hmm. for all of you who do. Because we're having a great time. We really are. We we feel very fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Florence and I are always talking about how the week has gone so fast. The year, the whole year, no time. So. <laughs> right. I know. I, I look today, May 14th. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're always saying it's time for Thanksgiving. <laughs> it seems like it always is. Well, well, who else would like this? Bruce, you have something you want to add? Or? Well, yeah, but it's lengthy. Go ahead. You know, we couldn't even have a constitution if it weren't for prayer. Right. In 1786, when the Constitutional Convention was getting together, and they were arguing and fighting and not agreeing on a simple thing. And they were at the point where they were going to throw the whole thing in and just walk away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's been a lot said about Benjamin Franklin in his place of our history. And he was the one in July 1786 who got up and said, you know, we need to pray. I mean, you can look it up and see what he <laughs> yes. specifically said. Mm -hmm. And then everybody listened to him. And then they went away and prayed. And then whenever they got together again, they started with a time of prayer first. And only then did they start to make progress. And it was in September of that year that they were getting ready to sign. And, and then he spoke up again, spoke to them how important it was that, you know, we... There may, there may be faults, but we need to get together, sign this thing, and get going. But if it weren't for him in July, he's talking about the need for prayer. We wouldn't even have had our Constitution. Who knows what would happen to our nation at all if it weren't for that. And also, historically, when Congresses met, they started with a session of prayer first. I don't know exactly when it stopped, but it was earlier in last century. 
But there was a time when they stopped doing that. And guess what? Yeah. All our troubles can be traced back to that. Yeah. Not watching and not praying. Yeah. And losing our, our alive, our zest, our fire for the things of God. Don't ever become dead. I'd like to share something I found recently from a former president of the United States. And he said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. And I think that says it all right there. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Tom, who else wants to speak before we? Thank you, Janet. Um, so, I'd like um, to, oh, go ahead. No, go. You go ahead. No, please. <laughs> well, when I first saw this about not watching, the first thought that came to mind was, if we're not looking where we're going, we are going to be falling off a cliff. And um, and that's kind of what happens to people. They get into their own little world, not God. They get into their own little bubble, and off they go, falling off cliffs. And you you see how the enemy had been watching to to see a way Mm -hmm. they could get in. And that Mrs. Eddy's address, July address, she says that. How come we're not awake and working? The enemy is ever present, right? Working day and night. Working Working day day and and night. The enemy's working day and night. Mm -hmm. You can count on that. So if you're not watching, you're you're basically letting the enemy in. Yeah. And it is enemy is suppositional we know but in belief there does seem to be one and we're in a war and 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 our swords must be up until we prove the final uh an absolute state of man which is perfection Bruce? Mm-hmm. and she gave that address on the fourth of july at a time when everybody was celebrating and happy our independence and then she obviously felt the absence of watching in this celebration, so to speak. Thank you. It's like, come on, people, get back down to earth again. The enemy's working day and night. You're happy to have your independence? Okay. But have you any idea what it took to get it in the first place and how quickly you would slip away if we did not watch? Tom or anyone else? Well, I wanted to say for um, our next Bible study, um, so when the questions get posted, you'll see what we're going to be discussing and what parts of the book of Revelation to read. Of course, we'll do that. Um, and as listed in our um, the Bible study notes, uh, we've got a lot of resources. We have from uh, Kratzer and Tomlinson and, and Hoyt to read. Um it's a lot of material, so you know, just pick and choose whatever seems whatever seems to interest you. Uh, Thomason um, has a nice summary for each section, so that's always good to look at. And then um, the main reason I, I'm, I'm talking about preparing for next uh, Bible study is uh, to remind people that um, Linda posts uh, notes from the discussion. So go back to the prior Bible study or the one before that, and read through those notes. Um, you'll learn a lot from them. There's a tremendous amount of information there. Um, so 
let's not forget that. Um, so I, I only mention this because since they're in the archives, we might not think to go back and look at it, but go to the archives, look at the notes, and pick something that interests you. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tom. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.